Put down your weapon! Oh, no. Okay, just stay and calm. And the other one as well. I want both weapons on the floor, now! Just stay Do calm. Do it! So, right, stay there. I'm police, okay? Do as I say or I'll shoot. Yes, yes, of course, don't shoot. In there, Take it easy. to the right. Come on! Come on! All right. Doing as you say. Come, doing come as you on! Say. Down right, on the right, floor! Right, yes, yes, we're doing as you say. Down on the floor! Faces okay, to the floor! Okay, stay, stay there! Hello, and welcome to Quick Kits, a podcast brought to you by Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa, Canada. And I'm continuing my review of the Netflix series Caliphate, which is a drama about Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, as well as an alleged terrorist plot in Sweden. And the series has been following a number of stories so far about uh, some foreign fighters in Iraq and Syria from Sweden. So part of the large wave of Western Europeans, North Americans, etc., that traveled to go join Islamic State beginning in about 2014, as well as the efforts of the Swedish Security Service, SEPO, to try and prevent terrorist attacks happening on Swedish soil. So now we're up to episode 5, and I have to admit this was, to me, thus far, the least interesting, least compelling of the episodes. I didn't find it nearly as riveting as the first four, although it starts off rather brutally. So Dolores, who is this woman who works alongside others from the Swedish government, including the Security Service to do counter-radicalization work. And if you recall from my last episode, she identifies Ibbe as the one having the tattoo in the ISIS snuff video that was shown. Uh, she's heading over to Fatima's house to talk to her and then uh, she's in the dark and she's stabbed to death. Someone kills her. And Fatima is blamed for her death. And of course, Fatima is already on suspension for having found a pot in her bloodstream. So she's been basically kicked off the job at Sapo. And now Nadir, which of course you will recall from last episode, was found talking to this episode Abu Jabril, this radicalizing imam in, in Sweden, is now saying that Fatima is the prime suspect and she has to be found. So Fatima is basically on the run. And yet, as I guess as a good intelligence officer, she keeps finding uh, in reasons to continue the investigation. She's doing it on the sly. She's living with some Bosnian friends. Turns out that Fatima is actually of Bosnian origin. I, I found this a little stretch of the truth. I'm not sure I could envisage any of my former colleagues at CSIS running at what is essentially a rogue operation on their own to keep finding intelligence on terrorist plots. But that's what Fatima's doing, and she's keeping in touch with Pervin in Iraq uh, to try and get her out of out of Raqqa, to get her out of this ISIS ISIS city. So I, I I'm not I'm not convinced this is a realistic portrayal of what a security service officer would do. So a, a bit of liberty, I think, with the truth here. You remember that? How could I forget? It was so beautiful by the water. Mm. Speaking of Pervin and uh, her husband Hussam, who of course are the two Swedes now fighting with ISIS, there's this whole issue of the phone that Pervin's been using to call Fatima. And Hussam discovers the phone and Pervin convinces Hussam that it's his phone. Hussam doesn't seem to be the, the sharpest pencil in the box here, although he has probably suffering from PTSD from an explosion he was involved in. And so they have this, this argument over the, over the phone. I, I get the sense that Hussam is also changing his mind about wanting to stay in the caliphate. He expresses to his wife that, you know, we never should have come. We need to go home. I found this quite realistic, actually. I'm sure that there were, and I know of cases where people who went to join Islamic State realized this was a boneheaded move. 
that Islamic State was not the paradise that it was shown in propaganda and that they were, in fact, you know, a brutal terrorist group. And they want and, and so Hussam wants to get out. And I think that that's quite reflective of what's happening. The problem is, is that Hussam has been told by one of the brothers that he has to go and fight. He has to go to the front. And if Hussam doesn't want to do this. Hussam says, well, I'm helping the traveler who's the guy going to Sweden to carry out the terrorist attack. He says, well, it's not enough. He says, you have to do you have to do jihad. Jihad is fard. And fard, of course, is an Arabic word, which means obligation. And this is, we often hear this expressed as a fard of ain or fard kifaya. And what the jihadis say is that jihad is fard of ain. It's an individual obligation on all Muslims. It's classic terminology from, from Islamist extremist propaganda. So I found that actually quite compelling. That's a kiss. <laughs> We're going. <laughs> we really are. We're going to Raqqa. <laughs> Sulika, who's a young lady who is being recruited by Ibe to join Islamic State. So she, of course, was told by her parents who found out that they're going to marry her off to some old Jordanian guy. And so she decides to pretend that everything's back to normal again. She says she wants to play basketball again. She's crying to her mother. She no longer wears the hijab. And so her parents are led to believe that everything is okay. It's back to the status quo ante. And she's walking to it through a subway with some, some girls from the basketball team. And she leaves them for a second. And she goes to meet Karima. And Karima's got good news for her. She shows her an envelope that Ibbe has given to her. And inside the, the envelope are tickets to Raqqa. So tickets to the Islamic State, and the two of them are, are quite pleased. In fact, the episode ends on this note. Probably an interesting reflection of what could happen, whereby, you know, recruiters were providing airplane tickets to people to get to join Islamic State. So I didn't find that to be out of the ordinary in terms of what happened, you know, five or six years ago with recruitment in the Western world. Speaking of Ibe, uh, he's got his fertilizer. He's gone to the greenhouse and gotten the fertilizer that he bribed by giving this walker to this Palestinian who owns the, the greenhouse. And so in, in repayment, the uh, Palestinian greenhouse owner has given Ibe, I think it's uh, 750 kilograms of fertilizer. Yeah, that's it. This is, a, this is extremely accurate. I mean, the biggest counterterrorism case that I ever worked on, the Toronto 18, they actually had three tons of fertilizer and they had three targets in the, in the Toronto, greater Toronto area. We know that fertilizer can be used to make bombs. And there's this, in fact, there's this famous video when the Toronto 18 was taken down on June 2nd, 2006, where two of the characters were unloading fertilizer from a truck into a, a storage place where they would keep it until they built the bomb. So the use of fertilizer for a bomb to use in a terrorist attack is extremely 100% accurate. So uh, the fact that they, the producers have elected to go to the fertilizer route is uh, is actually is, is good is a good move. And it certainly is in keeping with, with the other attacks that have happened around the world. The other thing that I found a little bit uh, okay, I'm, I'm not sort of sure where I sit on it, is Kale, who is Fatima's friend, who's also a SAPO officer. He goes and talks to Sulika's family because he's found this information about the daughter becoming radicalized. And he says things in a certain way that really upset the mother. The mother thinks that he, that Kale, the SAPO officer, thinks that being religious is a problem. And she takes, takes him to task for saying that. And she storms out of the room saying, I don't want to talk to you. The father, on the other hand, gets Kale's number because he knows that he may, in fact, have to call Kale if his daughter continues to exhibit these signs of radicalization. Yeah, in the past, there's certainly the language has been used by either myself or my colleagues from the security services when talking to Muslims about radicalization of violence, about Islamist extremism, has rubbed people the wrong way. There are lots of people that I encountered that were offended when I used the word Islam. They maintain that this has nothing to do with Islam. It's completely aberrant. And when I try to explain that it's, well, it's an interpretation of Islam that is non-normative, non-mainstream, there are people that just couldn't get past the I word. They didn't like me talking about this. So 
the fact that a SAPO officer would use this terminology and, and that it was perceived in a in a bad way, I think is not is is pretty accurate as well. The last thing that um, I, I want to talk about is that Fatima has basically talked to a colleague. So she's on the run, essentially, running this rogue operation, which I find completely unrealistic. But she's contacted a, a friend of hers at SEPO to try to get Pervin the heck out of, out of Raqqa because Pervin's in danger. And she has a plan for her. Unfortunately, the plan calls for Pervin to go out at night with the baby. So she, so Hussam is not part of this escape plan. It's just Pervin and her child. So Pervin says, well, I can't do that. I can't walk the streets at night alone. I'm, 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 a, you know, I'm a woman. So she goes out and to, to find this place where she's going to be rescued. And for whatever reason, it's not there. So she starts walking home. And the very last scene is that the, you know, the police, the, the Islamic State police stop her and tell her to get into the car. And then basically the episode ends. I'm pretty sure there were such potential escape plans that were made with the help of security intelligencers. I have no direct knowledge of that. I certainly wasn't involved in any myself. I don't know if my organization was involved in such extraction plans. So really hard for me to weigh in on whether this is accurate enough, but maybe others have, uh, you know, other experiences than I have. So the, the episode ended, you know, it's kind of dramatic. Pervin's going to be arrested. Sulika and Karima have their tickets to Raqqa. So a lot of sort of cliffhangers, but yeah, you know, I just didn't find this episode grabbed me in the same way that the first four did. Not because it was inaccurate, with the exception of Fatima running her rogue operation. It just, it, it just, it wasn't nearly as good as it, as the first four. I'm hoping that episode six is better. You'll certainly hear my review of episode six in a week's time. So uh, that's it for episode five. I'd like to know still what you think for those of you who are watching this series. I've seen some interesting remarks on Twitter by those who are not convinced the series is very good, not very accurate. I'm, you know, I think it's fairly accurate from a security intelligence perspective, but uh, everyone has their opinion. So I'd like to know what you think. You can reach me at borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter at Borealis Saves. You can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And if you like this content and all the other content that I produce, Intelligent Look at Terrorism podcasts, Today in Terrorism, the other quick hits, the other blogs that I put out, please subscribe to the content. So go to my website, www.borealsthreatmers.com, hit the subscribe button, fill in your email information, and you'll get everything in a daily digest sent to your inbox every morning. I'll talk to you again soon, if not with episode six of Caliphate with something else, I'm sure. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>